assisted living facility in Texarkana, Texas, right? Texarkana, Texas. She will move on August the 3rd when she will move. So remember her as uh, she makes this move. Others that are on the prayer list, remember them as well. Keep me as your pastor in prayer. Uh, uh, we will. We finished up the book of Hebrews this morning in our Sunday Bible class. Uh, I'll be trying to make up my mind where we're going to go from that point forward. And I do covet your prayers as I seek the direction that we. I want to go as far as what we're going to teach, what book we're going to teach through next in our adult Bible class Sunday morning. Anything else? Any other announcements? Any additions to the prayer list? Good to have you here with us this morning. Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. Titus chapter 3 is where we're going this morning. I told Pam, I told another well, I actually told Nathan uh, this week on the phone. Uh, yeah, I don't have, yeah, I've, I've had several computers fail on me through the years, and I, I've lost, I don't have any notes of anything that I have ever preached on anything beyond really about 2013. Everything from 2012 back, I don't, I got nothing. <laughs> Now, we do have sermons out on Sermon Audio. goes date back to when we, we were actually coming up, or we just passed 14 years of broadcasting on Sermon Audio. So I do have sermons that are out there, but I don't even have the notes on the sermons that are out there from 2008 to 2013. It just it all went away. So I know as far as the book of Titus, I, it shocked me when I got these verses in my mind that I have never preached a message on Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Verse 4 and 5, never done so. Or at least from what records I have, I've never done so. And I don't think you can find a record of it anywhere because we don't have anything else saved anywhere other than its sermon audio. But I got these verses in my mind, and I got to looking at them, and it, I kept expanding it and going here and there and everywhere with it, and I thought, this is a pretty good passage of Scripture for me to spend some time on. I've entitled this series, and we won't get there today, uh, but I've entitled this series, it's going to be two or three messages, I'm not sure exactly how far I'm going to go on it, but I've entitled it, Not By Works of Righteousness. This will be part one, Not By Works of Righteousness. And I'll tell you what, that phrase in and of itself goes contrary to about 99.9% .9 of what's preached in false religion in my generation. It does, according to them... Even Reformed people, they, they talk about, oh, we're saved by grace. They talk about the gospel. You know, they talk about Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood for his people and he saved his people from their sin. But if you're not more moral or you're not more sincere or you're not however they define, and that's the thing you can't ever get them to come down and get concrete on, if you're not a new creature. And they define, that, they define the new cute creature in a variety of different ways. There's a good possibility you weren't really saved to begin with. And they also believe that at some point in time, you can sin enough to where you can lose your salvation. 
They say, they make statements like this, believers might commit sin, but they don't practice sin. Have they ever read the book? King David lived in sin for quite a while, practiced it, did he not? I mean, I'm not trying to justify the practice of sin because sin does have consequence for the child of God. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens and scourges every son. But I got to thinking about this thing as I looked at it, and I, and I thought about this idea of, you know, and it always kind of keys back to what Paul wrote concerning his brethren according to the flesh in Romans chapter 10. My heart's desire and prayer to Israel, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, is that they might be saved. Or I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to righteousness, or not, not according to knowledge. For they being uh, ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness, what have they not done? They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone. Christ is the fulfillment of righteousness. He is the embodiment of righteousness. He's the name whereby we're called. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. So as I sat there at my computer and thought about the way that I wanted to begin this message, I wrote this statement down. This false notion, this false idea that salvation is in some way connected to a sinner's works can be traced all the way back in history. Where can it be traced to? It can be traced back to our representative man, Adam, immediately after he fell in the Garden of Eden. You think about this. God had declared his promise and his threat to this man, Adam. Now, I looked carefully. I went back and looked at it. He didn't declare it to Eve. He declared it to Adam. Go read the narrative for yourself. Now, Eve knew about it, but the only reason she knew about the promise and the threat, what? Adam had told her. And I tell you what that ought, that ought to tell you as a husband. You know what your responsibility is? It's your responsibility not just for yourself, it's for your spouse and for your children. But he had, he had declared, God himself declared the promise and the threat to our representative man, Adam, and he made the consequences of disobedience to his command crystal clear. It was not something that was subjective. And the God took the man and put him in a garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man. You hear what he did? He commanded the man. Why? He's God. And it's God, it's his will or destruction. Now that's the thing. It's God's not complacent. God's not asking us to do anything. God commands. That's what makes him God. What makes him unique among the gods. There's other gods. But this God commanded, what did he command? He commanded the man saying, of the tree of the garden, you can freely eat. Every one of them. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest. Now I think that was a, a proclamation of what was coming. In the day that you eat, 
And he was. He was going to eat. The day that you eat thereof, what's going to happen to you? Thou shalt surely die. What did Adam do? <laughs> Adam disobeyed God's command. And he ate of that tree, that forbidden tree. And the penalty for his sin, what was it? It was immediate. It didn't take a year or two years or a lifetime. It was immediate. How do we work? And when the woman saw the tree, it was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And I think the thing that you've got to remember, we're talking about representations, what we're talking about. What Eve did had absolutely no bearing on the consequences of man. It all revolved around who? Adam. And that's what that word Adam means. What does it mean? Adam in the original Hebrew means man. Mankind. So it all, it all keyed on him. So she gave it to him and he did eat. And what happens when he eats? And the eyes of them both. You see the representation? God said, in the day that you eat, you're going to die. Who died with him? Who came out of him? Wasn't she taken out of Adam? Both their eyes were open. What did they realize for the first time? They were naked. And I don't think that's so much naked clothes-wise which I think that's true too. But I think the nakedness was, you know what, they realized they were naked before God. That, that, you know what that is? That's spiritual death. And it was immediate. They knew. They knew there was a separation between them and this God they had formerly been in fellowship with. And I'll tell you what, it is, Paul stated it like this. The wages of sin... Death. Right? And as God had threatened Adam and all it was represented, he represented specifically Eve and, and all of the offspring to follow out of his genealogy. Every one of them, what did they do? They died spiritually. All of them. Me, you, your young children, your infants. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, what are they? They're all coming to this world the same way. They're not innocent. What are they? They're dead in trespasses and sin. Why? Because of what they did? No, because of what Adam did. How do we know? God's Word makes it clear. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. How did it get here? He doesn't attribute it to Satan. Who's he attribute sin getting into this world to? It entered this world through man and death by sin. That was the threat. So death passed upon who? All men. Spiritual death. In that all men had sinned where? In Adam. I tell you, if you deny the universal sinnerhood of representative relationship to this man, Adam, you do not know the Word of God. You do not know the Christ of God. You do not know the true and living God. 
I remember one of the first responses I got when we get started putting stuff out on the Internet, a guy lost his man about federal headship. This man says that we're held accountable for what Adam did. I say that because that's what the Word of God says. <laughs> you think about this, previous to Adam's sin, not Eve's, but previous to Adam's sin, Adam could talk with God. He could be in God's presence, yet the Lord walked with him in the coolness of the afternoon. Who is that? Well, God absolutely considered what he, he said, God's spirit. And I know this much. God told Moses, did he not? No man can look on me and live. He could look on this God. He could walk with this God. He could talk with this God. Because who was it? This was Christ walking with him. So formerly he walked in the garden, but now because after his sin, what does he realize? I'm naked before this God. And our Adamic nature shined forth in what is the next thing said about Adam, our forerunner. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife Eve, what did they do? They, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. However many millennia have transpired between Adam's fall and sinners in my generation, you know what? Nothing has changed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of them. Every unregenerate sinner, just like Adam, their father, being aware that they're void of a righteousness, realizing that they're naked, just like Adam, you know what they do? they go about to establish a righteousness of their own, which is symbolized by those fig leaves that they sowed together. And listen to me, God didn't mend that thing. He didn't put a little fringes on it or frill to it or add to what they had done. What did he do? He took it off of them. And he placed on them coats of skin. He did it. And I'll tell you this much, apart from God showing mercy and grace to Adam in that garden, I mean, you think about it, what did he deserve? What did all mankind deserve in that instant? They, and that's how I know God didn't, didn't destroy them. His, his wrath didn't fall on them because his, he had determined to do what? All this was, all, everything that's transpired from Adam in the garden to where we're at now to the end of time, what's it all about? Huh? It's all about His glory. That's what this thing's about. And that's the subject of Paul's words to this young preacher, Titus. When You think about it. When the scribes and Pharisees saw our Lord Jesus Christ eat with publicans and sinners, they asked our Lord's disciples this question. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Well, listen to eternal wisdom's response to that statement. Why 
does your disciples, they weren't talking to him, they were talking to the disciples. He didn't overhear them. He heard them. Why? Like eternal God, what does he know? He knew their thoughts. They didn't have to verbalize it. Listen to his response. When he tells them who God purposed to save. But when Jesus heard, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And I know what their mindset was. We're not sick. Right? Because they already, they've already shown they think there's a division because they're concerned about why is he eating with publicans and sinners? I tell you, the worst of the lot was who? What did our Lord say? He said, publicans and sinners will go into the kingdom of God before who? You. Right? So the worst of the lot, the ones that were the least deserving was who? Not the publicans and sinners, but what? These people trying to establish a righteousness. And so he says to them, now listen to this, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. And here's the thing, you can't learn that on your own. He told them on another occasion, you do search the scriptures. For in them you think you have life. And they are they which testifies of me. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. The only way you and I understand, know anything, how? It's spiritually discerned. It's not this old fallen man mind running. What is it? It's the mind of Christ that he's given us. He says, you go and learn what that means. And they never did. Because instead of going and learning, what do they do? They set their hearts, minds, and wills against destroying him. What to go learn? Here, here we go. Boy, this just slaps them all upside the head. I... This, that, just, this statement itself, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous, and he's not implying that there's righteous. The implication here is those who think they're righteous. But who's he come to call? Sinners. Sinners. That which our Lord Jesus told them, go ye and learn what that meaneth, it directed these unbelieving Jews to that which they claimed to know, to that which they claimed to believe, to that which they claimed that they loved. You know where he sent them to, to go and learn this from? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. An Old Testament passage. Because there wasn't no book of Matthew then. What Hosea say? For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. <laughs> What's sacrifice involved? Everything under the law that can never put away sin. Israel made a fatal error. National Israel. They thought there was salvation in the law. And there never was. Never has been. Was never the intent purpose of God's holy law. Any of it. Either the moral or the ceremonial. The whole mosaic economy. 
and the knowledge of God. He says, I desire the knowledge of God more. You hear this? More than burnt offerings. When you hear the word mercy, or you read the word mercy, the very concept of mercy, what does it imply? That you're hopeless. That you're helpless. That you need mercy. That you can do nothing to secure it or maintain it. Look at our text. For we ourselves, look at verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Let me read it to you from Young's literal translation. For we were once also we, Paul includes himself, me too, thoughtless, disobedient, led astray, serving devices and pleasures manifold, in malice and envy, living, odious, hating one another. That's all of us. That was Saul of Tarsus when he was going on that, headed down that road to Damascus. That was Saul of Tarsus when he held the robes of those men that stoned Stephen to death. You consider this, how in the world, how in the world could or would one who is foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another, how in the world could they desire or how in the world could they seek after the true and living God? And yet we, a religion in our day calls on men and women in this situation for them to find God, to seek Him. These words are the exact same description the Apostle Paul gave to those at Rome, men, every man and woman, child without exception, including God's elect, while unregenerate and in a state of unbelief. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. For all, verse 23 says of Romans chapter uh, 3, all have sinned and come short. What have we come short of? The glory of God. It comes back to that question. What's the glory of God? Remember Moses, Lord, if I found grace in your eyes, show me your glory. The Lord says, I'll do this thing which you requested. I'll show you my glory. I'll, here's my glory. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So what's his glory? His glory is his willingness to show mercy and grace to those that are undeserving. Abraham believed on him who justified who? The I tell every regenerated, regenerated, converted son or daughter of God, you know what they are? They are the greatest miracles on earth. Oh, he had double myeloma, mama, mama cancer, and he got better. It's a miracle. That, yeah, that's a miracle. One that's dead, living. One who's a hater of God, made her a lover of God. 
One who was seeking their own way, seeking his way. One that was in the way of death now, in the way of life. Totally and completely. By these words in our text, Paul told, told Titus as well as every justified saint in every generation that read this epistle, hearken unto me, you that follow after righteousness. And aren't we doing that? Aren't we following after righteousness? Hoping and resting in His righteousness? Thanking God that it's in His righteousness and His righteousness alone that we've been redeemed, rescued, and set free from the law of sin and death. Those who follow after this righteousness do what? You that seek the Lord, look unto the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were digged. In other words, those folks that are looking for and hoping for and seeking righteousness, do what? Look at what you were. Remember where you came from when God reached down into the cesspool of depravity and brought you up and put you on the solid rock. Mr. Gill, I love what he wrote. I, I, I try to read as much as I can during the week on these. I love what Gill wrote on these words that Paul wrote to Tyler. He said, nothing has a greater tendency to promote true humility and check the pride in God's dear children than to reflect upon their past. State and their past condition what they themselves once were. You got friends and family that are lost? Is it hopeless? Remember where you came from. Remember what you were when God sought you. You weren't seeking Him. I sought the Lord. No, you didn't. You sought a God of your imagination. He sought His people. He always has and He always will. Hey, think about it. Not, not one of those born of God think they deserve God's mercy and grace. Not one. Matter of fact, knowing what we are and what we were, and knowing what still resides in us even to this day, what do we consider ourselves? Debtors to God's grace. And I think about this a lot. Sinners by nature, including God's elect. You know what we are? We're an absolute mess. <laughs> we are. But here's the thing. After This is what's so glorious about the gospel. Remember what you are. But he don't leave us there. See, he don't bring... It's not... I don't want you to go out of here saying, well, Brother Richard says that I'm a dirt dog, dirt, <laughs> dirty dog, rotten, filthy, good-for-nothing sinner. Well, we are. But we're something else. <laughs> we're sons of God. We're heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ Jesus. And that's what he does here. After reminding us what we were, Paul brings forth one of those verses that's one of the greatest comforts, sources of comfort and encouragement to those who know and feel themselves in reality to be what's written in verse 3. What is it? But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Don't you love the but verses of God? Literally translated, this verse reads, and when the kindness and love of God Love to men of God our Savior did. It did appear. That's how we know He loved us. Why? His love appeared where? 
in that baby in that manger. Don't read me Cain. This statement reminds me of Paul's words to those at Rome, for when we were yet without strength. How? When we were seeking him. No, when we were without strength. In due time. In other words, in God's time. Christ died. And he always says this. He didn't just say Christ died. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one would die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified, by, but what being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, now think about it, when we were enemies, when, when were we enemies? We, we were enemies in Adam. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God when we believed. No, nope. ain't what it says. Can you read that into that passage? We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled through the death of His Son, we shall be saved by His life. Also reminds me of what Paul wrote to those in Ephesus. We're not going to go there and read it. Go read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. What were we? Even we were dead in trespasses and sin. What did God do? He quickened us together with Christ when he raised him from the dead. Look at our text again. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. After all our rebellion, all our wickedness. I don't even know why I wrote that passage, that bird down, because I think about this. It all goes back to this. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So this love transcends what we do, Kenny. Good or evil. It transcends our faith, our belief. It all revolves what? God's purpose to save. And redeem his people. But I'll go ahead and read what I wrote down. After all of the, the, the rebellion, all the wickedness, either by way of immorality or self-righteous, works-based religion, in spite of all our foolishness, all our disobedience, all our deceitfulness, all our bondage to sin, all our envy, all our malice, Paul dogmatically declares when which the word when literally means but. That's what the, the word but means when. I got that backward. The but, word but. Look it up for yourself. The word translated but means when. That's why in Young's literal it's translated when. When we were in full bondage to the law of sin and death. When we could not and would not seek the Lord. When we were all by nature children of wrath, even as us. That was when the kindness and love of God toward man appeared. Imagine that, when God's people were dead in trespasses and sin, when they were enemies in their minds by wicked words, God manifested his love toward them in the person and work of his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners' son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God manifested his kindness and his love for them. Notice who Paul said this kindness and love appeared from. He said, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior. God our Savior. It's so important. I want to make certain that I get this clear this morning because it sets us up for what we're going to look at next Sunday. Most think that this statement, God our Savior, who they think it's referring to. They think it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he is indeed God our Savior, is he not? Matter of fact, in this epistle alone, three times he definitely refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as God our Savior, Jesus our Savior. But verses 5 and 6 that we'll look at next week, now you think about this, verses 5 and 6 that we look at next Sunday makes it clear that the Spirit by the Apostle Paul is making a distinction between all three persons of the Godhead. You say, how in the world in this matter of salvation? How do we know that? Listen to it. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. Whoever this, 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 this His is a reference back to who? God our Savior. According to His mercy, He saved us. And by the washing of regeneration, here's the second person of the Trinity, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He shed abundantly on us abundantly. Here's the third person of the Godhead, through Jesus Christ our Savior. You say, why make the distinction? It's important. By declaring the love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, Paul was speaking of who? He's speaking of God the Father who purposed and planned salvation of every person that he chose in Christ Jesus and gave to him an everlasting covenant of grace. He sent his son into this world made of a woman, made under the law. God the Father planned and pur- purchased it, pur- purposed it. And he, when he... In the fullness of time, what did he do? He sent Christ here through his blood and his righteousness and his sacrifice to finish the work. That original word translated that to kindness means goodness or gentleness. Paul used the same word twice in describing God's mercy to his people. In Romans chapter 2, he said, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness, his gentleness, his kindness and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing, now listen to this, the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. What? Beating people up with the law. No, that don't do it. That'll make people reform. That'll make them try to get right to keep from getting left. But it's the goodness of God that brings men into true God-given obedience. The love of God, what does it speak of? It speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to deliver, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is only found one place, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle John stated it this way, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. What did He do? He sent His Son, 
the propitiation for our sin. John also wrote this verse. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Think about it. It was this kindness and this love of God our Savior that what did it do? It appeared. And this just blew me away when I was studying this this week. This is why I can't believe I didn't have never preached on this page. That word that's translated appeared in the English, it's the word that we get our English word epiphany from. And I thought, okay, epiphany. You know, I, Sometimes I had to get out a dictionary because I don't know the meaning. I encourage you, when you get home today, pull Webster's or any other dictionary off the shelf and look up the word epiphany and see what the, the true, the, the number one definition of the word in the English epiphany is. You know what it is? Here it is. This is from Webster's Dictionary. The manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 10. (laughs) So an epiphany has something to do with what? Christ. Sent a God into this world. Now the Greek word translated appear, you know what it means? It means to show to. It means to bring to light. That's why we read Isaiah 61 this morning. It means to become visible. It means to become clearly known, or here's the best definition I like, to show oneself. Here's the same word. The angels said of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the same word translated appeared, to give light, to give light to them that sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, he says of man by nature, the way of peace they have not known. But whoever this light is, Christ the light of the world, what does he do? He leads us in the way of light. In the way of light. I think Paul made it as clear as it could be made. Even so, we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And I love the way he phrased this. And because you are sons, they ain't done nothing. They ain't believed anything. There's something to happen here. Because you are sons, God sent.